evidence and answers. Does archaeology support the historical authenticity of the Old Testament? Most Old Testament scholars and archaeologists believe that there is little, if any, historical evidence that supports the early books of the Old Testament. What does the archaeological evidence reveal? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. At a recent conference hosted by the Wailai Baptist Church in Hawaii, Pat spoke on archaeology in the Old Testament. Now with part one of his opening session, we will hear an overview of biblical archaeology and its role in biblical studies. Well, good evening. Great to see a lot of you. We got people here from all over the island. Great to be with you and a privilege to speak here at the Waterhouse Lecture Series. Great to see so many students from the Packram University here where Pastor Matt and I get to teach these great students. Well, we'll be talking about archaeology and the Bible this weekend. And we're first going to talk about the history of biblical archaeology. It's relatively a young field. Okay? It's pretty young. You'll, you might be surprised at how young it is. And then we're going to talk about the Exodus. Did it actually happen? The majority of Old Testament scholars and Middle Eastern archaeologists believe it is mostly folklore. All right? And that's the majority those in the Old Testament field and in archaeology. And many evangelicals struggle with it and many concede, well, I guess there's no archaeology for it, but I, I'm going to take it by faith. Well, we're going to take a look at a lot of the new evidence for events like the Exodus and others. So it should be a fun weekend. We're going to go through a lot of material here. I don't expect you to get it all, but you can go on our website here at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidenceandanswers.org is over close to a thousand podcasts that you can listen to on the topics that we're covering and a whole lot more. We have a radio show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on 99.5 KGU. And I get to interview some of the top scholars from all over the world on issues like science and archaeology, theology, the world religions, Bible, science, a whole host of issues there. Tremendous resource for you there and articles as well. So I don't expect you to get everything we're covering this weekend. We're going to go through a lot, but you can review everything on your own time right there at evidenceandanswers.org. And every year we have our apologetics conference. You know, Christianity is uniquely a historical faith. You know, when I, growing up here in the Hawaiian Islands, I studied the diff you know, different various world religions, the Hawaiian religion, the Hindu religions, and all being surrounded by the world religions here. And I found that most religions were based on mythology and folklore. And going to an Episcopal high school here, our priests taught us that pretty much the Bible as well it was like any other world religion based on mythology and folklore as well. There's really no hard evidence, no historical evidence that Christianity is based, you know, the Old and New Testament based on events of actual history. There's some truth in there, but it's mostly shrouded in legend and folklore, just like the other religions. So I never really took it seriously. It was in my late junior year that I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I heard the gospel at a Baptist church, 
And I prayed in the pew. I said, God, the Bible, if you're real, I want to get to know you. And so the next day, I went to my school priest, and I said, hey, I went to this church. It's a Baptist church, and this is what the gospel is. And man, and is that correct? And the priest just smiled, and he said, you know, he said, Christianity is like any other religion. Most of it's not true, but it makes you happy. Good for you. But it's not better than any other religions. They're all the same. And I hadn't read the, or really studied the Bible before, so I took Bible class under this priest, and he told us all the reasons why the Bible is unhistorical. There's no archaeology for the Exodus. There's no archaeology of Abraham. The Israelites are simply a Canaanite tribe that simply got powerful and had to invent a story for themselves. And, you know, the Gospels are written 100 years after the life of Christ and passed down orally and exaggerations and legends get all that. And then borrowed from the Greek mythological gods and all of that. And that's how we got Christianity and Old Testament Judaism. And so I was really shaken. I thought, you know, if the Bible is true, it claims these events actually happened in a historical setting, in the context of the Levant there in the Middle East or the Near East. But if it really didn't happen, if it's really fiction, then really, is this something I really want to believe? And that launched me in an investigation to see if Christianity was really credible, if it was actually true or not. And that's how I ended up in the field of apologetics. So if the biblical events happened, then there should be historical events left behind. If it happened here upon this earth, then there should be traces of it left behind. Well, what does the historical record reveal to us about the Bible? This weekend, we're going to focus on probably the most attacked part of the Bible, the Old Testament, all right? What does the archaeological record show? Well, first, what is the science of archaeology? Archaeology is the reconstruction of past human cultures through the study of their material remains as excavated in their stratigraphic contexts. Right? So what we do in archaeology, it's like the forensic science. Okay? It's different from experimental or laboratory science. Those sciences, you come up with a hypothesis. Then you predict testable outcomes. Then you test your hypothesis repeatedly. All right? If you get the predicted outcomes it becomes a theory. The archaeological and historical sciences don't work like that. All right, these are more the forensic science. You go in there and you look at the evidence, just like a crime scene. You look at all the evidence that is there, and you cannot repeat that event over and over and over. Once a bank is robbed, you can't repeat that event over and over and over and over and over again. You look at the evidence that was there. Are there eyewitnesses? Do we have fingerprints? Do we have footprints? What do we have here? And you try to reconstruct what happened there. That's what we're doing in archaeology. We look at the evidence that is there. Are there any historical records that explain what happened here? And does the evidence here, what we're finding, the pottery, okay, the walls, the settlement patterns, all that, we study all of that and we try to reconstruct what occurred there. Now, there's three parts to archaeology, three phases. First is data collection, the excavation of material remains of past human cultures in their stratigraphic context. In other words, we can tell when this civilization was around or when these events happened looking at the stratigraphy, all right, the layers in the soil. Where did we find these artifacts? But on top of that, you look at pottery, you look at 
vegetation, you do climatological studies, you do all kinds, you know, dozens of studies till you come to the conclusion. Next is the study and analysis of the material remains. One of the most important material remains is pottery. Pottery. Everybody used pottery. The rich, the poor, everybody used pottery. And there's pottery everywhere when you're doing archaeological study. And from the type of pottery that remains, you can also figure out dates of when these events took place or when this civilization was around. I didn't know, but pottery is one of your best dating methods. Now, my mom would enjoy that. Okay? She loves ceramics, you know, and she, she sees a ceramic pot. She can probably tell you where in Japan it was made. I hate pottery. You know, I didn't know that's such a big part of archaeology. And you never find a full jar. You only find pieces of it. So you get the piece, and then you got to figure out the painting and all this. And a lot of times, it's just the top, the lip. You know, and you got to grab it and study the lid. Uh, you know, I didn't know he had spent so much time studying pottery. Man, gosh, drives me nuts. But you analyze the materials, and then modeling is reconstruction. What happened here? What was this civilization like? Or if you're looking at a particular event, how was this fortress attacked? Where was the point of attack? How did it occur? What kind of weapons were used here? So those are the three steps in archaeology. Now. The role of archaeology, several. First, it confirms the historical authenticity of the Bible. The Bible claims to be a historical book. Christianity is uniquely a historical faith. So it confirms the historical authenticity of the Bible. It confirms dates, places, people, events of the Bible, assuring us of the Bible's trustworthiness. You know, there are over 100,000 discoveries that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. I mean, just manuscripts alone, New Testament man manuscripts, we have over 24,000. You know, and you combine that with cities and plaques and coins, it's over 100,000 discoveries confirm biblical places, people, and events. Compare that with something like the Book of Mormon. How much archaeology do we have for the Book of Mormon? Zero. You ever heard of a Mormon archaeology department? Doesn't exist. How much archaeology do we have for the Quran? Very, very little. Very little. In fact, historians are beginning to come to the conclusion that perhaps Muhammad was not a historical figure. You know, that's how sparse the archaeology is. For example, Mecca is supposed to be the oldest city in the world. Okay, when Allah kicked out Adam and Eve from heaven, they landed in Mecca. And the first civilization is there in Mecca. All right? Now, when you go to Jerusalem, those of you who've been to Israel, when you go to Jerusalem, there's yellow tape everywhere. They are hitting archaeological sites everywhere. You can't go anywhere without yellow police tape all over the place. Do not pass the archaeological dig here. Archaeolo there's just archaeology everywhere. When you go to Mecca, the oldest city in the world, supposedly, what do you see? Nothing. It's a very modern city. The whole thing is cemented. There's no archaeological digs going on anywhere. And this is the, supposed to be the oldest city in the entire world. But see, the Bible is unique. We have thousands upon thousands of archaeological discoveries confirming people, places, and events of the Bible. And we keep discovering more and more and more and more every day. Second, it corrects false interpretations of the Bible. And you'll see some of that this weekend, especially when we start studying the Exodus. 
Third, it clarifies our understanding of the Bible. It can clarify Bible customs as we learn, lifestyles surrounding events, so the life of the characters in the account. And we're able to gain a greater understanding to the Bible as we attain a clearer picture of the context in which the narrative takes place. And fourth, it complements the biblical message. It complements the Bible by providing further insights and understandings to the text. Right? Archaeology illuminates the cultural, historical background of the Bible, adds to our knowledge of people, places, and events in the Bible, clarifies our understanding of the Bible. For example, one of the problems in the Exodus, it says that there were 600,000 men that left Egypt. 600,000. So you add women and children, you're talking about 2 million people that left Egypt. Okay? Now, 600,000 fighting men is what Israel had. That would dwarf any military army that's out there. We haven't seen a military of over half a million men until the Persian Empire. All right? And yet they come upon the city of Ai and they can't capture it. You know, and the excavations we've done in the city of Ai, their army was probably 150, 200 men. And a group of 600,000 soldiers couldn't capture it. And they lost 30 people. And they wail in misery at a great loss. They, well, 30 people out of 600,000, that's not too much to, you know, that's not a very big loss here. Well, this is where archaeology comes in. And it helps us clarify things like that. Now, we have some limits to archaeology. All right? First of all, only a fraction of what's out there has survived. Many cities have disappeared due to earthquakes and erosion. Human activity, you know, buildings contributes to the decay. Perishable material like papyri have eroded away. Second, only a fraction of available sites have been surveyed. There are hundreds of sites in Israel, Egypt, in Iraq, in Iran, in Syria, Jordan, Turkey, Lebanon, thousands that have not even been surveyed yet. And we're continuing to find more and more sites. We found Sodom and Gomorrah just over a decade ago. All right, we're just finding new stuff all the time. Only a fraction of the surveyed sites have been excavated. Right? Less than 10% of the sites that we have surveyed have been excavated. The reason is the cost is tremendous, plus getting permission and licensing from the government and all the regulations that come with it makes it very difficult. Fourth, only a fraction of an excavated site is actually examined. Back decades ago, we'd go in with a big bulldozer and rip out a whole section of a tell Atel is a man-made mountain where once a city or some kind of civilization once stood. But we go in and just rip it out like cutting a piece of cake, you know. You just go in there, grab a whole bunch, and just pull it all out, and then study the strata and everything we find in there. Well, that's a tremendously destructive way of doing archaeology. In the 60s, we developed a new method. This is how young biblical archaeology is, okay. In the 1960s, we developed what's called the Wheeler-Kenyon method. And you probably see this when you're looking at 
archaeological digs now. Now we dig in 10 by 10 squares. Okay, and it's a very tedious process. Now when you go in there, you don't take a shovel and dig. You get a brush or a spade and you just scrape the top off like this. Okay, centimeter by centimeter by centimeter and you just start going down. Alright, so you are not digging the entire site. So let's say this is a city here, this sanctuary. Okay, we're not digging the whole city. We can take a 10 by 10 portion, maybe here in the corner, and that's all we're digging. Okay, or maybe two 10 by 10 sections here, squares, and, and we're digging down. So we don't excavate the whole site anymore. So who knows what we're missing? Jericho was a good example of that. And fifth, only a fraction of what is excavated is eventually reported and published. Many texts are sitting at the bottom in the basement of great museums in France, in England, even here in the United States. Egyptian texts, Sumerian texts, Canaanite texts, sitting there until language experts, and there are very few that can go in there and read the hieroglyphics or these ancient Middle Eastern languages. For example, there's 25,000 cuneiform tablets of the Mari civilization. Only 10% have been translated and published. So it takes years to study a site, then research the artifacts, then write, get it reviewed, and eventually publish. So it's a tedious task here. But even despite all that, I mean, we have confirmed over 100,000 discoveries confirming biblical places, people, and events, and it's still growing. Now, there's two schools of archaeology, two schools of archaeology. Just like in science, those of you in the science, you have the intelligent design people and the philosophical naturalist, the atheists and those who believe that there is an intelligent designer. Well, archaeology, you have two camps here, okay? especially in biblical archaeology. The first group are called the minimalists. The minimalists and the vast majority of archaeologists are in this camp. So most of the archaeological books you're going to read in the library or at the college or university or Biblical Archaeological Review, which is most popular archaeology magazine, most of those guys are minimalist. What is a minimalist? Well, they generally do not view the Bible as historical and is not necessary in archaeology to study the Levant area. Scholars in this tradition, they state that the biblical history totally lacks any historical basis and its character is largely fictional composition or wholly imaginative history. So minimalists seek to keep the Bible and archaeology separate. They say that when it comes to archaeology, Bible guys are biased. They're two biased. Their theology and their desire to see the Bible proven true taints their archaeological research so they cannot be objective in archaeology. All right, so it has no value in archaeology. Minimalists said, no, Bible has no historical value. We need to look at the archaeology itself, okay, and come to conclusions based on the archaeology all alone because the Bible doesn't have much historical value. Israel Finkelstein, Israel Finkelstein, he's one of the most influential biblical archaeologists of our time right now. And he writes this, Biblical history totally lacks 
and historical basis, and its character as a largely fictional composition or wholly imaginative history is motivated by the theology of the time and its compilation in the Persian or Hellenistic periods, centuries after the alleged events took place. At best, it contains only a vague and quite unreliable information about early Israel. Amon Ben Tor writes this, the root of evil as far as the discipline of biblical archaeology is concerned, terms such as defense and verification of the Bible, all in the service of religion, are completely out of place. The next group we have, they're called the maximalist. Okay, the maximalist. And this is the minority group here. Now, there are moderate maximalists, and they believe that the Bible is mostly historical. Okay, so it adds some value to archaeology. Evangelical maximalists view the Bible as the inspired word of God. Therefore, this school believes there should be a strong connection between the archaeology in the Levant and the Bible there. In fact, the Bible is a very useful tool because it's one of the oldest historical records that actually tells you about the artifacts you're digging up. It puts it together for you. You don't have to reconstruct it among civilizations that don't have a historical record. The Bible has one. And when we go to these sites and make these discoveries, we can go to the Bible and it helps put it together for us. So the Bible is useful and sometimes necessary in archaeology. And maximalists believe that the Bible fills in the gaps to the questions where archaeology cannot answer. All right, so the maximalist. All right, so they're the good guys, okay? The maximalist. And so when you're reading books, you have to figure out which one you, you're reading. You're reading a minimalist or a maximalist. Most of the time, you're going to be reading minimalist. Now, let me tell you a brief history of biblical archaeology. It's a relatively young field, okay? Now, it began in the late 18, well, in the 1800s when Napoleon first arrived in Egypt. Okay, he arrived in July of 1798. He landed in Egypt, uh, 400 ships and 50,000 men, and tried to take over the country. Now, in addition to soldiers and sailors, he brought 150 scientists and engineers and scholars. And their responsibility was to study and collect Egyptian culture and history, right? So the military invasion was a failure, but the scholarly quest was a tremendous success. They brought home all these artifacts and valuable treasures that they found there in Egypt, and they brought them back to France and put them in places like the Louvre Museum. Right, where a lot of them ended up sitting in the basement. But people saw the things that Napoleon and his men found there in Egypt. And they started getting excited about archaeology. And people started saying, hey, wait a minute. This is historical. Could we find stuff that confirms the Bible over there? And that brought excitement, not only to the West, to treasure seekers, but also those biblical scholars. Now, the archaeology as a science did not exist in the 19th century. It really began in the early 1900s. Most going in, 
in the 1800s following Napoleon were treasure diggers and they were going in there to go get treasure and artifacts and bring it back to Europe and the United States and sell it in museums and make a whole lot of money okay so artifacts were found they filled museums and those that weren't bringing in big money ended up sitting at the bottom of the basements of many museums in Europe and the United States really began with this guy Paul Emil Boda he died in 1870 and his partner Henry Laird they collected massive artifacts and data from Mesopotamia put them in the Louvre and the British Museum and the Christians started getting excited because they were saying look we actually have hard historical evidence of the events of the Bible out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule a conference at your church or location, give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarek. <laughs>